Well, it's my turn to say good morning, Cross Point. This is two weeks in a row I've tried to get to you, and I'm glad I finally got here. Uh, what a weekend last weekend. I certainly echo what David said earlier about praying for those. And it's been a great joy to be able to be with David and Linnell. They've become great friends of ours in a very short time. And to be able to experience what they've talked about to us over and over, their great love for you, their great vision for all God is doing through you in this uh, region for His glory. I want us to pray, and then we're going to jump right into where we're going to be headed this morning as we continue the series, Thy Kingdom Come. Will you join me? Father, we know that as we sing, or as we think about those words, Thy Kingdom Come, and what that basically means is that what we want is what's up in heaven to come down here. It means that we're praying that Jesus would get His way in our lives. And if He begins to get His way in our lives, that it would begin to, to, to spread like a ripple effect throughout all of the community. We know, Father, we don't, you're not asking us to put Jesus first in our lives because that means there are competing forces. You want Jesus over our lives, over and only in our lives. So we thank you for moments like this that we get sacred moments in which we can pause and allow you to say things to us that can be transforming. And that's our great desire and our hunger this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a very famous quote from a very famous theologian, Ferris Bueller. He once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. It's a good, good reminder. And with that, I want to follow up with a couple of rhetorical questions that would push us beyond just thinking about them, but actually really settling down into them. Here's the first one. What is... The absolute best way to use my one and only life. With that in mind, can you imagine you or me being able to improve on God's plan for our life? Somehow or another we could say, God, I think I got this figured out. I'm a whole lot better planner for my life than what you are. And with that, I want to follow up with a very important question. In light of a passage of scripture, I just want to give to you real quickly, won't be on the screen, but it's one that has really fastened its ways around my mind and heart over the last year. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, be very careful then, be very circumspect, then how you live, not as unwise, sophomoric, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. One translation puts it this way, don't run around like idiots like the rest of the world. Be very careful. The days are evil. We understand that. Your pastor will be speaking to that over the next several weeks. So the big question that I think really makes it even more personal is this. How does the way I live my one and only life, one and only life, fit into God's plan for my life? How does the way you're living your one and only life in the present moment, how does it fit in with God's overall plan purpose, direction, intent for your life. Some years ago, I was just riveted by a paragraph that John Ortberg included in one of his messages. And I put it up on the screen for you to read. Follow along. You and I were created to have a mission in life. We were made to make a difference. But if we do not pursue the mission for which God designed and gifted us, we will find a substitute. We cannot live in the absence of purpose. Without an authentic mission, we will be tempted to drift on autopilot, 
to let our lives center on something that is unworthy, something selfish, something dark, a shadow mission. So what does it mean to live a life on mission? With that in mind, I want us to drop down into a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to invite you to follow along with me in Mark chapter 4. But before we get there, you and I have heard over and over again that whenever someone begins to say, all right, I am going to become a Christ follower, it's all coming under the banner of His commanding invitation that says what? Follow me. That's the essence of it. And when Jesus, if you begin to look at his life, we start thinking many times, follow me means to embrace his teachings. Certainly, that's vital and that's important and that's significant. But I begin to discover something about those words in a different kind of a way. Could Jesus have meant to follow me means to go on the pathway that I would go? And if you look at the geography of Jesus' own three-year life in terms of his ministry, and you begin to track that and plot that, you will see that there is a powerful message there for all of us who say, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to live on mission. And that means to go to the places that Jesus would go to. And Jesus had this uh, uncanny way of always crossing over into places that everybody else considered and imagined impenetrable. Jesus had this way of associating with people that most other people would keep at an arm's distance. Jesus had a way of stepping into situations that nobody in their right mind would step into. And so if you begin to look at Jesus, what he does, whether it be welcoming children or speaking to a woman, or standing in the circle of the adulterous woman, and taking her side, you find that Jesus has this way of turning what many times were barriers into bridges in which he would encounter them. And so this morning I want us to look, beginning at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, I want us to look at what Jesus said and how he demonstrated. We could go to many different places in the Gospels, we're just going to go to this one story. I want you to enter into it as if you're on mission with Jesus, with the twelve. Mark 4, verse 35. Here's what we read. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now we would be very quick to kind of pass over that and move on and read the rest of the story. But when Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side, you have to understand the context because it's a very powerful moment. Jesus, at this particular point in time in his ministry, it, there's this crescendo of popularity. The masses are gathering, and the Jewish people are coming out to listen to Jesus. And it's at this moment, I'm sure the disciples said, hey, this is our moment, let's seize it, let's take advantage of it, and let's make sure we capture what's going on here. And in the midst of Jesus' popularity, with massive crowds gathering, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Now to you and I, it sounds like just, hey, a direction. But the words, the other side, were, those words were cold words. And whenever Jesus said, let's go to the other side, it was like he dropped a bomb into the conversation. Because you see, the other side, 
if you can look at this map here, Jesus was on this side, and he's saying, let's go over to the other side, and the other side was the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was the place of ten cities. Who lived in those ten cities? There were seven nations represented in those ten cities, and they were all Canaanite nations. The Canaanite nations happened to be the ancient rivals of the Jewish people. Not only that, but on the other side was where the Roman government had placed their central force of legions of army. There were over 6,000 soldiers. That was their home base. Not only that, on the other side, when the disciples heard Jesus say the other side, they brought to their mind all the things that the Jewish people taught in that day. The other side, those seven Canaanite nations, at the center of their worship was the swine or the pig. They were known for violence and sexuality and sensuality and greed. And whenever somebody said the other side, in Jewish thinking, that's where Satan dwells. That's where the enemy lives. So when Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, the disciples would go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, this is our side. That, that's, that's where the enemy lives. That, that's where Satan dwells. You don't want to go there. And yet Jesus said, let's go to the other side. A place where represented everything that those, the disciples, had been taught to hate. Let's go to the other side. If we are serious about following Jesus, He is always going to ask us to go to the other side. He's going to ask us to move into what we might consider the uncomfortable, maybe even enemy territory. A lot of times I think Christians are what John Stott described as rabbit hole Christians. We live in our rabbit hole, our, our culture of security, and then every once in a while, because we're forced to, we scamper out in the world around us, and then as soon as we can, we get back into our rabbit hole. Jesus said, I don't want you to live in a rabbit hole. I want you to go to the other side. I want you to move out of your comfort zone. Now, what does that look like? Who's on the other side for you? It could very well be that family that just moved in the street down from where you are. You're real excited about it until your kids started hanging out with their kids and you found out their values were different than your values. And so all of a sudden you're worried about your kids hanging out with those kids down the street because they have a little bit different background from you and you're just not for sure you want your kids hanging out with those kids. So all of a sudden, instead of being welcoming, you're like, wave, but you want to make sure that you're waving in such a way to keep them at a distance. Who's on the other side? It could be that person that you work with that is a constant irritation whose language offends you, whose very lifestyle choices offend you, and you do your best to be as friendly as you need to be, but you keep them at a distance. The last thing you would ever do is invite them to go to you with you to lunch. You walk the halls of your high school as a high school student, you're a Christ follower, and there are certain people that everybody kind of pushes to the fringe, and that's the person you never have anything to do with. We live in a world of us versus them, 
And too often as Christ followers, we've been a big part of that. Jesus said, if you're serious about following me, you've got to go to the other side. That's where you've got to go. Most recently, I had the privilege of being a pastor at Centerpoint Church in Concord, New Hampshire. We moved from Louisville, Kentucky, a city of one million, to a state of one million. And as we moved into the Concord area, it's the capital, it's where all the politicians go in the political seasons, and we moved into that area. I moved to a 196-year-old church. It was on a postage stamp lot. They had 13 parking spaces. Fortunately, on either side of the church were two large parking garages that on the weekends were available to us. But during the week, those 13 parking spots were like go to the people in the church. When I first arrived there, I was kind of taken back. On every one of those parking spaces, there was a big blue barrel with a sign that basically said, if anybody dares park here besides somebody coming to this church for some reason, we will have your car towed. In fact, they had a sign to that effect. My first week there, I watched as the receptionist walked out of his place outside and scolded somebody for parking in our parking lot. Those bears were gone after the first week. Right next to us was a beauty salon that had been there for several years. When people talked to me about the beauty salon, they described it in dark tones. In fact, some per one person said, when I walk by it, when you walk by it, you can feel the evil coming out of it. And one of the problems had some of those young ladies that were there, many of them were single, and many of them were single mothers. They would come out during their break, and they would light up, and they would leave their cigarette butts and remains on our parking lot. One of the first things I did after being there was to go get my hair cut at that beauty salon. I began to try to say, hey, look, it's so great. They're right next to us. And I'm, I'm so glad that over time the people begin to pick up on that. And over time our elders' wives begin to hold luncheons for all of those single stylists. They begin to embrace them and, and that we would give them a parking space. We would say, why don't you park your car here instead of having to pay in the parking garage through the week. We'll pay the dollar twenty-five an hour. You park here. We would give them gift baskets throughout the year. I can remember a time pulling up and one of those young stylists coming in coming up to where I was with tears and saying, would you pray for me? On my very last night that I was there, we were celebrating our six years. Guess who showed up? Several of those young stylists. And today, that church is known in that city not for keeping people off its parking lot, but because they love the city. They learned the challenge, the beauty of crossing to the other side. What point does that make for you? What point does that make for me? Let me put it very simply. You can't follow Jesus and play it safe. Can't. If you're going to live on mission, if you're going to shift your pursuit, you're always going to be challenged to cross over to the other side. To live on mission means to go to what we might describe as enemy territory. Let's continue the story, beginning at verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Those who know anything about the Sea of Galilee know that it's because of its level. There's warm water, warm air that's constantly over and swirling over the Sea of Galilee. And many times a storm, even in this day and time, can suddenly come up without any kind of notice. And waves up to 10 feet high can be stirred up just like that. And it gets pitch dark when that happens. We have a little bit of a feel of that in the northeast whenever a nor'easter moves in and the wheels and the, 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 the howls and the storm just comes in and, and, and engulfs us. These disciples suddenly found them in that squall and, and darkness. And they can't see anything. All they can feel and, and experience is the tossing of the waves. Jesus is asleep and suddenly they begin to wake him and it sounds like Jesus is rebuking them. When he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus wasn't saying to them, hey guys, come on, get over it. Jesus was saying, you remain confident in my overwhelming presence. You remain confident in my overwhelming presence. Don't you lose that confidence. Now what they were experiencing in a mythological sense, whenever there were storms like that, again in the Jewish mindset, they saw that as demonic forces that were at work. You can imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, I knew we shouldn't have crossed over the other side, now we're facing demonic forces, we're all going to drown. Jesus stands up in the midst of that and he says, be quiet, be still. And they're overwhelmed with awe and wonder at his power over natural forces. One of the takeaways from this that you and I need to hear is that you can't follow Jesus without facing fierce resistance. When you dare to live on mission, when you dare to cross over to the other side, just rest assured, all hell's going to come at you. You're going to face all kinds of challenges. There are going to be times when you're going to be absolutely overwhelmed. Some or another, we've got in our mind the notion, we put two words together that are actually oxymoronic. You know what the two words are? Safe faith. There is no such thing as a safe faith. When you dare to live on mission, you are living a life of wild abandon. Erwin McManus says it something like this, we've been taught that whenever God is in something, there is not a chance for failure. At the same time, we are reassured that when God is with us, we are guaranteed safety. In this process, we create the most ironic oxymoron, safe faith. We fail to see divine moments when all we see is danger and risk of failure. God has called us to be those who live on mission with wild abandon, knowing that there will come all kinds of a fierce resistance, monster-like resistance. I've been going to Boston for over 30 years in one form or another, and we now live there past two years. I will tell you, there 
as seldom gone a week, but what I haven't felt and sensed. Powerful forces at work at everything against what we're doing. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. And when you cross over the other side, when you dare to do that, you are going to face fierce resistance. And when you do, remain confident. When fears and doubts assail you, remain confident in His overwhelming presence. Let's continue the story. Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when they got out of the boat, Jesus, a man with an impure spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you imagine the disciples? Pause the button for just a moment. This is great. We're on the other side. They'd almost just lost their life at sea. And the first thing they get when they get to terra firma is they see this wild, maniac, demoniac, deranged man cutting himself, running straight at them. I have a feeling that they were saying, let's get back in the boat and go to the other side where we came from. Here was a man who'd been kicked out of his community. He was a man that was a lost cause with a lost mind. What is Jesus' response to this? He's absolutely fearless. Jesus said to him, verse 8, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. It's 60,000 demons, verses 1. 6,000, verses 1. And yet Jesus stood in the face of evil, and he cast the demons out, and he dunked them in the Galilee with a herd of pigs. You can read the story, the rest of it yourself. But I want you to see something here for a moment. When Jesus came to the other side, were there massive crowds? No, there was just one lonely, deranged, demoniac man. What was going on here? Jesus encountered, he released this man. And then and down in verse 15, it says that when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Here was a man that was hopelessly broken, beyond repair, a lost cause. But Jesus said, I'm crossing over to the other side for that man. Here's a third takeaway for this morning. You can't follow Jesus unless your heart goes out to the hopelessly broken. You can't. Unless your heart is gripped, wrecked, and crushed. You, you can't follow Jesus. If when you see somebody with a lifestyle, or you see somebody doing certain things, a lifestyle that's broken, and all of us are broken, and all of us are messed up, if it does not grip your heart, if it does not rip your heart, you can't follow Jesus. Recently where we now live in Jamaica Plain, I... I sat down, and as I sat down, another person came in and sat down, and he was obviously transgender. Later on the day, I sat down, and there was a, a same-sex couple that were very obvious same-sex couple. Not long after that, I went down to one of our, our, our local places. I, I, I go to these various places to find out what the culture was like. It was an Irish pub. I want you to know I had Coke. 
And as we, we get to the Irish pub, I'm walking the ball, watching the ball game. There's all this group of rowdy guys and they're dropping all kinds, you know what, language. And as I went back home that night, having experienced all of that in the daytime, I could not get it off my mind. That's why we're here. You don't scold a blind man for being blind. Your heart has to be crushed, broken. They've never experienced the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus like you and I have. The heart has to go out to them. People on the other side, you know who they are. Reach out to them. Well, let's wrap this story up. Not here in this particular chapter. Jesus said to the man who had been delivered from his demons, who wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus said to him in the passage, you stay here and you go tell everybody about what I've done. A few chapters later, in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. Into the region of what? The Decapolis. The last time there had been one deranged demoniac man who met him. This time, that one deranged demoniac had told everybody about Jesus. And the crowds were some of the largest in Jesus' ministry. And you read the account, there was another feeding miracle. It's very fascinating. This time he fed 4,000 instead of 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, he collected on the side of Israel, he collected how many baskets afterwards? Twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel, perhaps, he was symbolizing. This time, after the miracle of feeding 4,000, how many did he collect? Seven. How many nations were there in the Decapolis? There were seven Canaanite nations. Jesus was saying, the gospel's for everyone. I've come for everyone. But here's what I want you to see. When you follow Jesus to the other side, expect the unprecedented to happen. Just watch out. Seven years ago in Boston, there were maybe four, five, six church plants. Today there are 60. This past Easter... Because a group of young men and their wives and families came and planted their lives. This past Easter, over 7,000 people were gathered in those 60 church plants that didn't exist five or six years ago. One in particular, Jan Vizikov, Russian-born immigrant, dropped into Boston five years ago, parachuted in, Started with just he and his family. On Easter Sunday, in the largest Jewish synagogue in all of Boston, gathering in their main room that seats 1,400, on Easter Sunday, three services in the largest Jewish synagogue in Boston. Let that sink in. He was standing there proclaiming, Christ is risen. The unprecedented happens when you cross over to the other side. So I leave you with a message not about Boston, it's about the street where you live, the place where you work, the high school where you're a student. It's about a church that's in a region, has a lot of churches, 40% maybe are church, but there's a 60% that have never heard perhaps the name of Jesus enough to say yes or no, to live on mission. I want to close with a riveting story, and as you listen, think about all we've shared this morning. 
Andrew Andrews, in his book, How Do You Kill 11 Million People, tells this story about a church in Nazi Germany in the midst of the unfolding Holocaust. Here's what he writes. We heard stories of what was, hap- what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt, what could anyone do to stop it? Every Sunday morning, we would hear the train whistle blowing in the distance, then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews to the, like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death count. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it now. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. We can gather, we can sing, we can keep them at a distance, we can become all about insiders. But we should hear the cries of all of those lives around us in your world and mine on the other side. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Always on the other side. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us that when Jesus says, follow me, it's not just to adopt a new lifestyle, It's not just to embrace His teachings, but it's to go where He went. To cross over. Whether it means walking across the room, down the street. Whether it means bringing somebody into our lives who has a completely opposite lifestyle. Crossing over and sharing with them the life-giving, freeing, power of Jesus. Father, we thank You that You crossed over the other side for us. You sent Jesus to the other side. And because of that, we've been set free. May we bring that message to others. In Your name, Amen. Amen. Can we just thank David for being here with us this morning? I tell you, there's a, there's a lot of things that David had said in his message today that were really challenging to me, and, uh, and I hope to you as well. One of the things that he said was, that, it, that really just sort of captivated my heart, was he said that the will of God is not an insurance plan, it's a daring plan. And I love that, because I've always believed that, that this new work that we have here in, in Cross Point Church, and I know some of you may be thinking it's not a new work, we're only 11 years old, and so it's still a new work in and I think God's mind, but uh, for us as a church, we've always believed that God has called us to reach our city and beyond for Jesus Christ, and that means often going to the other side. But one of the other things that that David mentioned here this morning was, and and I thought was really insightful, and it's it's certainly so true, is that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we, 
we must understand that we have to have a, a, a heart that is broken for the broken. And so, you know, for me as a pastor, and I know for so many of you as well, as just followers of Christ Jesus, you know, I, I want us to always remember that there is a great need for us to remember and to consider and to think about all of those that live outside of these walls. I've been in several churches in my life that, that when you leave the building above the doorpost, you'll see a sign that says you are now entering the mission field. And that has to be our mindset as believers in Christ Jesus when we leave this place that we are now entering into a place where we have opportunity to share the gospel and to share the good news and to share the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. That is what we are on as mission. Uh, that is the mission that we are on as followers of Christ Jesus. He has commanded us and we are to be faithful to telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And so thank you this morning, David, for sharing that. Can we just thank him one more time for being with us? Uh, I, I shared with you earlier that we have some good news here to, uh, to sort of celebrate this morning. And, and it is good news, but it's really, if I'm being honest with you, it's more bittersweet than it is, than it is just great news. And so I want to share this news with you, but I want to do so in the way of a video. I had said to the guys in the, in the sound booth that I would say something along the lines of roll that tape, and they started laughing because who uses tape anymore, right? Uh, but anyway, I, I just want to share this video with you this morning to, to make this announcement. Then we'll close out the service here with our last song in just a moment. So roll this tape, uh, this, <laughs> roll this video, <laughs> fellas, if you will. So. Hey, Cross Point Church, we are standing in the heart of Boston, and we have some exciting news to share with you guys. We believe God has called us here to plant a church. At Cross Point, we want us to say thank you. Thank you for the past six years where we were able to uh, be poured into with Pastor David, but also just to come alongside you guys and to do ministry. We are forever grateful for what Cross Point has done in our lives. And we're so thankful that Cross Point is ascending church. There's a church that wants to reach people for Christ. And we believe God has drawn us to Boston, to this historic city, a city of firsts. And we want to be a light in the darkness here in Boston. So Faith Family, we would just love just to say thank you, but also to ask for you to pray for us as we begin our journey church planning in Boston. Gabe and Callie, come on up here for just a second. That's one of those announcements that is uh, certainly a bittersweet. We, uh, we certainly have grown very close to this young couple. And, uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, just knowing that they have accepted a calling that God has placed on their life to go to a place like Boston is exciting. Uh, it's, but, it's, but it's also sort of that devastating news where we just want to, you know, keep them here with us forever. And, and no doubt, Gabe and Callie is a, is a couple that we would love to, to just hang out here. But God's will for their life, God's plan for their life, uh, trumps everything else that we could even imagine, right? And so, you know, it's, it's one of these things that it's not going to happen immediately, 
But we just wanted to make the announcement. This isn't they're sending off Sunday. Uh, this is just us making the announcement that this is God's plan for their life. And I just, uh, Gabe, I want to just open it up. Do you have anything you want to share yeah, here this absolutely. morning? So. Uh, Faith family, we just want to say we love you guys. We uh, have loved the past six, seven years we've been able to, to be here. This is home for us. And we've loved working with the college students, the students, the families, and uh we knew God called both of us to be a part of church planning, and we knew God was calling us to plant a church. And over a few months ago, God led us up to Boston. As we were praying about possibly planting in Boston, we were, went through this town called Newton, and it's a part of Boston. And later that night, as we were eating dinner with David, we heard that in that city, that one of those high schools in that city, last year they had five suicides at that one high school. Faith family, in that moment, my heart broke. Because those students, they had money, they had an education, but they didn't have hope. And it was in that moment that God was calling us to the other side, to plant our lives in Boston, to reach the people of Boston. And so, yes, it's, it's very bittersweet. We love you guys. This is home. It will forever be home to us. And our heartbeat is to take cross point there and to plant it in Boston. And I'm so thankful to have a pastor like you, Pastor David, that loves the kingdom of God, that isn't about building his own little kingdom, but about seeing millions come to know Jesus. Faith family, we have an amazing shepherd who has a heart for the nations. And so can we just give it up to Pastor David real quick and, and Linnell? We, we, we can't stand here today without you taking your steps of faith to plant Cross Point Church, and we are forever grateful. Thank you. Well, I just want to thank Gabe and Callie again this morning for just answering the call that God has placed on their life. You know, a, a church that is, is intentional about raising up leaders in the church, raising up co-laborers, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry, when a, when a church is intentional about doing that, then God is going to be faithful in calling those leaders out and ultimately sending them away. And it's always hard. It's never easy for us as a church. We've done this in the past, and we're going to continue to do this, to, to just pour into as many people who God is calling to missions or to church planning or whatever else it may be that God has called them to. We're going to continue to remain faithful to that because ultimately we don't measure our spiritual effectiveness by how many we seat, but by how many we send out of here That's right. for the kingdom of God. And for Jesus. And so we are so thankful. I'm glad that it's not immediate that you're yeah. going to be heading out. Uh, we've got some time to, to really work through some things. I know one of the things that has really just impressed me about Gabe and Callie is, uh, you know, they, they have committed to not leaving until our family ministry is shored up. And I just love that about them. I love that it's not, a, it's not just a reaction to what they feel, but it's something that they know that God has set them on this path, but we have a lot of work to do. Uh, and I, I've told them anyway, they couldn't leave to at least after Easter. But, uh, right. but anyway, uh, we're excited for them and just so excited about the teams that are going to leave out of here and go help in Boston, not just with Gabe and Callie, but with David and Gail and so many other church planners. And so be sure and just come by and just, uh, just give them a hug at the end of the service. And, and I'll tell you, God's going to use them in a mighty way like he's used us here and how, as he's used them here. And so this morning as we close out our service, our, our worship team's going to come up here and lead us in that last song. And I can't think of a better way for us this, this morning as we've heard the message from God's Word, the challenge to go to the other side.
to think about that and think about how God may be teaching us. What is our greatest response this morning to the Word of God? What is our response to Jesus this morning? Maybe for some of you here today, it's a time in your life where you have realized that you need Jesus more than anything else in this world. And our pastors are down here to answer any questions that you may have. They'll be down here uh, during that last song. And we have always said that just because the service ends, ministry doesn't have to. And so we are here for you to answer any questions. But maybe for you this morning, maybe for you, this altar could be a place where you come and you pray for those who God would intentionally place in your path so that you could share the gospel with in the weeks to come. Or maybe you could come and allow this altar to be a place where you pray and lift up Callie and Gabe as they prepare to leave and go to Boston one day, whenever we let them go, but leave to go to Boston and make a difference in that city. I know it's a lot colder there than it is here. And you know, one of the things they said to us I thought was really good. They said, you're, you're always welcome in our home. And so uh, I can't wait till I go and have a free place to stay in Boston, Massachusetts. Everybody's welcome. And that's Everybody's right. Welcome. And he, he's already said that he's opening it up to everyone. So y'all are all invited to Boston. So let us, let us pray. Let me pray for this dear couple. And then we will pray. We will respond however God's leading us to respond. This has been a beautiful day, Crosspoint. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you, God, for all that you are. We thank you for your presence in our life. And God, how you challenge us through your word. Lord, we thank you for the realities that you crossed over to the other side. So that you would not only impact my lives, but the lives of millions of other people who today would call themselves disciples of Christ. And Father, we know and we recognize the the calling that You have placed on each and every one of us as followers to make a difference in our world by carrying with us the greatest news that we could ever take to someone else and sharing that message of hope. God, we recognize that though there are many who would see the message of the cross as foolishness, Lord, we recognize it as the power of God unto salvation. And Father, I pray that we would always remain faithful. Lord, never content, but always faithful in taking that message of hope where we live, work, and play. God, may we be faithful to continue to look not only in our Jerusalem, but in our Judea, Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. God, may we always have a heart that says, send me. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.